Yes, yes. Hello, welcome, welcome, Salborna. This is Aiden K, and you're listening to the Digging Deeper podcast. This week's guest is none other than DJ Euphonic, also a Benoni boy who I ironically went to school with, but who has somehow managed to get out of the remote corner of the East Rand and become somewhat of a success, I would say. He's a house DJ, radio personality, and somewhat of a property mogul. In this conversation, which was <laughs> recorded in my living room, uh, we chat about everything from how he got started in the music industry, uh, how he, his passion for music developed, what it was like to grow up with parents who weren't supportive of his dreams, as well as how he got into radio and what he really feels is going on in the music industry at the moment. Um, it's a conversation that you will hear the full length of in this podcast, but if you want a shorter, more condensed version the video that i've put up on my facebook page and on youtube will be somewhat of a shorter version just so that people can stay interested but for now enjoy the full conversation that we had after his most recent trip to china so let's get into it what's up everyone this is aiden k and today is going to be an extremely special episode of the digging deeper podcast because i never thought i'd be able to say it but Today, I have Euphonic in my house. <laughs> yeah, it's Euphonic in Eddie's house. <laughs> Euphonic in the house. <laughs> and this is going to be a really special episode because from the people that I've done so far, he's the person that I've known for the longest, the person that I look up to the most, the person that, I mean, I think the first real exposure that I had to DJing was actually through him. I think it was at a, at a U party about... Sure. Must be, <laughs> must be about nine years ago. Was the first time I actually heard you DJ, and I think I can distinguish the moment exactly because I remember you were playing DJ Cleo Hands Up at yeah. that time because that was when that song was big. Whoa! <laughs> so you like talking two thousand and seven, eight? Yeah, sure. Around about then, I was fifteen. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there was something about seeing you play. To these, I mean, at those at that time, U Party wasn't as big as it is now, mm. and I think there were maybe about five hundred kids. It was a relatively small private school somewhere in the north, and I remember seeing you playing, and I was like blown away by how you could control this sort of mass audience. Because at that time, mm. I thought five hundred people was a lot, <laughs> and. I just remember seeing you playing these songs and these people just freaking out. Yeah. And I mean, now I look at it, I'm like, those kids don't actually really know what they like. Like when you're 15, nah. you don't actually know what you like. You're just like, oh my God, it's Yvonne playing. <laughs> and I remember seeing you play and I was like, this is something I want to do. And it was around about the same time that I discovered what virtual DJ was. And I'd been mixing around, like messing around with, I think at that time, like Kid Cudi, uh, day and night and uh, some oh, pitbull yeah, yeah. song was big <laughs> and I was just I was playing around on virtual DJ and I was mixing these two songs together that sounded horrible they weren't even in time and I just was like I see now what DJing is in terms of a career and like, there was mm. somebody I now had an idol to look up to because I didn't know what dance music was I didn't know what DJing was I knew what parties were and I knew I'd see, I'd go to like some like house parties, which I shouldn't have been at at 15, <laughs> but I'd see like random DJs in a corner. And then all of a sudden it wasn't this like guy playing on this like hi-fi sound system anymore. It was now somebody playing on this like rig with lights. And it was like, wow, like this is something I actually want to do because it, it, it was just this energy that came from it. Yeah. And you were the first 
person that I was exposed to that was doing that. And I think a lot of what you did in terms of how you mixed influenced the way that I I have brought into my career as a DJ anyway. And to be able to speak to you, I mean, as I said, sitting down in my house speaking yeah, to you about well done. You've full circle. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least yeah, eight years later something's going wrong. <laughs> so I really appreciate that you take the time out of your day to Yeah, be no worries, man. I know that you're tired, you just came back from China, so the jet lag is real, so I appreciate <laughs> it anyway. Yeah, I'll try to keep it short because I know you're busy. Um so for the people that are watching this that I mean I think you it's un, undeniable that you have that you're a household name if not the biggest one of the biggest household names in house music and in the DJing industry in the country but what I'd like to chat about is how you got there and there's there's a few things that you've done in your career to help up and coming artists like the DJ 101 that you did for a while the future DJ thing that you did a lot of the opportunities that you gave to people back in the day on, on your show on five, mm. you still sort of give up and coming DJs a chance on, on your show on, on 947. So just the, you, you have this theme of helping kids out. And I yeah. was one of those kids, fortunately enough. And I'll, I'll touch on how we actually met, but how did you, how did, how did you decide that music was something that you wanted to do? Cause I imagine growing up to, Tell your parents, I want to be a DJ. <laughs> they weren't exactly happy. It was, it was something that I actually got kicked out of home for, man. Um, because, like, if the family that I come from, my dad was always like, anyone that doesn't get like an education dies like, a, going, you're going to die like a dog, basically. So when I was like, listen, I'm dropping out of varsity to, to pursue this thing of being a DJ, it was just like unheard of. And it was just like, well, you can do whatever you want, but it's not going to happen underneath my roof, which basically meant get out. <laughs> get out so I, so I so I left but I mean like rewind back to like my high school days um I wasn't much of an academic wasn't much of a sports person so like I distinctively remember like during uh PE which is physical education lessons that they used to call I always used to find a way to bank mm. and I'd, my, I'd gotten like some CD player like a Walkman um, at the time and I had like two I had like I had one that played CDs and one that played cassettes mm. and I used to bring both of them to school with me every single day and in my bag that had my school books there was also CDs and, and, and tapes so that like any opportunity I got like I could sit and listen to music and I mean like I'm like it's like I'm noticing now even like today that like my personality trait is that I don't really like people but yeah, I, I really love music, and music's my is my getaway, and um, I think music was the one thing that allowed me to connect with people mm. without having to speak to them. You know, um, when I was fourteen, a friend of mine invited me to come play at his sister's birthday party. I didn't even know what DJing was then. It was just like so I just came with all the music that I had because I basically built myself at school at the time to be the guy that had like the, best the, new, music. the, the new music, yeah. the best music first. And if like somebody wanted to know um, what a song was, they'd ask me and I, nine out of 10 would know what the song is. Like the, the, the I was basically the Shazam of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, it was like the, the cool factor about me that like I had the music, I knew the music um, and nobody had the music before me, you know? So, and I'm like, I was basically like collecting music from different sources. There were friends of mine who um, really loved collecting hip hop. My one cousin loved collecting 
what was in South Africa called international, which was like house music, black box, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I was finding all different sources and connecting with all sorts of different people so that like I would be like the one guy that had like all the music first and all the like the, as, as diverse as possible. Yeah. So for me, like that's how I got into anything music related. It was to one, to cut myself away from the world and two, to connect with people. Yeah. And till this day, that's what it is. Well, I think the, the thing that people find interesting is I didn't know until sort of a couple of years ago that we actually went to the same school. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really interesting as well. Like I said, you were somebody that inspired me to get into DJing, but also when I was now saying, okay, I want to be a DJ and I found out we went to the same school. I was like, fuck, I can do this. Yeah. Also when you come from Pinoni, which is like Shout probably out. like the most remote town, like in Gauteng, um, I mean, like, I just remember when I wanted music. I mean, first of all, when you live in Benoni, going to East Jane Mall is, like, a big deal. Mm. Going to Eastgate is an even, even bigger, bigger deal. deal. And, you like, don't, when you don't go to Sand, Sand it's, like, <laughs> it's like a day trip, you know what I'm saying? So, like, finding music, I mean, like, at the time, House Africa, Sugar Tracks, those are the best places to get um, records. And, like, obviously, like, I'm 14, there's no ways that I'm getting on a cab there's no way my dad is taking me to go get all this music so like I had to like literally like make do with like what I had and like the best way for me to get those music was like sending making friends with older people that had cars and I'd say like listen I'm looking for like these and if you can find them please get them for me you know um, not spending tech money so that like I had music money for, for money for music um, and just like building like the, the like the the, the the best collection in in what is called Benoni and at the time like DJing wasn't cool mm. like nobody was cool I mean I remember um, some of the places that I like for instance I used to do like the school discos and it was never like put production it was just always used to be like just you're there in the corner playing the music in the as long as, halls. and as long as you're playing the right music like it's fine yeah and that was anything from house music yeah. to rock too <laughs> and I mean like that's that, that, that's that, that, that's why um, my sound was so diverse it, even till this day like I struggle when someone says stick to a particular lane because when I started DJing for me, it was playing all sorts of music, Genres, yeah. you know, um, I didn't have to stick to a genre. I didn't have to stick to a subgenre. I didn't have to only play this. I didn't have to only play that, you know? Um, and when I found like house music, cause initially I started playing, I started collecting hip hop. When I found house music and I was like, this is the one thing that fuses everything together. So like, let that be the genre that I stick to. You know, hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, like it did, de definitely did come with its own challenges, um, especially being like in Benoni, where it's like, yeah, what are you talking it's about? It's like a different city. And when you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, people are like, please, man, like nobody <laughs> Benoni does anything large, you know. <laughs> and when was it something that you got into after school, like straight off out after school that you wanted to become a DJ, or did you study something um, and then so decide? So, I mean, the entire time, uh, DJing was the one thing that I wanted to do. My dad, like, and I started to do, like, from that party when I was 14, um, then, like, I was doing everyone else's parties. Um, I was, like, going to all this, the, the, the schools or getting, like, people that I knew in all the schools to say, hey, listen, if you've got, like, a school disco, like, let me know, I'll come do it. Um, so, and then in matric, my dad was like, this music thing must stop. So, for the whole of matric, like, if I wasn't uh, sneaking in gigs, like it wasn't happening mm -hmm. at all. Um, then when I got to varsity, like, you know, like, like any other kid, it's like, what are you going to study? And it's, 
when you look at like in 2003, what you what are you going to study? The biggest things then were like, either you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. So I went the accountant route. Um, hated it. Uh, then like in, in the midst of all of that, like while I was studying, like I found there's other kids in the varsity that like do this thing called DJing and like also throwing parties. But at the time I was still living in Benoni. So I couldn't justify to my dad why after school on a Friday, like I'm only going to get there home at like after midnight. Mm. Um, so anyways, like I started like in like networking with all those guys and actually like, Believe it or not, like I'm one of the co-founders of Mix Masters at UJ, which was the first ever DJ society um, at UJ. So for me, it was like I want to do this music thing, but like there's no course to go and study. Yeah. So like the the Boston city, whatever, didn't like all of those DJing courses yeah. that you see running around today. None of that existed. And I mean, the internet was around, but YouTube wasn't around, so you yeah. couldn't go online. No, you couldn't go. Tutorials. Yeah, you couldn't Google. You couldn't do. The, you couldn't do anything. So literally, it was like the best way to learn how to be a DJ was to surround yourself with other people that were DJing, ha- hanging out at the record shops and hanging out in the clubs and the radio stations. And that was it. That was the only places that you were going to hear or learn about DJing. Is it true? Because I've heard a rumor that you used to follow Fresh around everywhere when you got into Definitely, DJing. man. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, like, what, what I did in um, in high school was that, like, I started, like, because I was so interested in DJing, like, that, like everything around what I was studying in, in high school, like, I'd, I'd find the DJ element of, of that. And I remember, specifically remember, like, business economics was my favorite because they were constantly teaching about, like, how to run yourself as a, how to start a brand, how to start a, a business. And the one lesson that like stuck out for me was a SWOT analysis yeah. where you take <laughs> your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats and you figure out like how to be the best of that. So, I mean, like at the time I was like, okay, cool. Like who are the biggest DJs in South Africa? Then I, list, I had a list and then I had a list of like what makes them music, mm. radio, whatever. Who are some of those people that you were looking And at? then I was like, okay, cool. So I need to align myself with all these people. And at the time, like there was no one bigger than fresh. Yeah. So I made it a, a point to not be like irritating, yeah. but to have the guy see me all the time to the point where he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I know that kid, like, let him in, let him in. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I mean, like that's, that, 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 I literally, that's, that, that's what I did. Like I studied the Oak until like I knew like what kind of records he likes, mm. um, the places that he plays, how he plays. It doesn't sound it's, stalker it's, at all. Yeah, no, no, I mean like, <laughs> but it paid off. It yeah. paid off in the end. No, you know, like I think, the, and a big mistake that a lot of kids make today is that like they believe that like in order for you to have a mentor, the guy needs to be like your friend and needs to know your name and you need to be able to pick up the phone and call him. But no, like you just need to say, okay, cool, what is, like, I'm going to watch every single interview. Every single time that this guy's in a newspaper or a magazine, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to read the article. And sooner or later, like, you sort of kind of gather, like, what the person's all about and, like, how, how they're doing, how, mm. doing what they do. And that's what I've always done, man. Like, um, at the time, Oskido, Vinny, Christos, um, I forget now who the, the, what was his name? It starts with an S. Surge, 
Okay, Serge yeah. was one of the biggest yeah. DJs as well at the time, and Costa from uh, from Bump. Bump. Yeah. So the, those are the people. Well, that was, that, that's quite a diverse yeah, range of yeah. So though, I mean, like, if, if you're looking for the biggest DJs in the country, mm. like irrespective of what they play, like those were the guys, you know. And if you want to be anything bigger than them, you needed to be better than all of them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or like sort of kind of fits into like what they were doing. So like that's how I modeled myself around. Like, how is Fresh going to look at me and not say this is just a copycat, but like, how is he going to say, yo, what this guy's doing is cool? Like, he's one of us. Yeah. How is Serge going to say the same? How is Vinny going to say the same? And how's Costa going to say the same? And how Which, did you go about that? How did you go about getting noticed by them and then sort of having them view you as peers in a sense? Um, it, 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 like, it was also quite, quite difficult because like you didn't want to come across as being a stalker. Mm. And I mean, like I had the fortunate opportunity of um, becoming a resident at Huzu at the end of like my first year at varsity. And literally that, I, that happened because another DJ didn't make it. And I was just the guy that always had my music on me, you know, even now, like I've got tunes in the car, like I'm ready to play, you know? <laughs> um, I'll just set it up. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like let's party, you know? So what I did, um, like, a friend of mine's brother, Naked DJ's brother, was a promoter at Huzu. Um, on a Friday night, we were all going back to Benoni and Naked needed to go drop off something for his brother at Huzu. When he get to Huzu, a DJ hadn't made it um, on time. And this was like, at like nine o'clock. Um, already I was late to be at home. And I was like, no, I've got my music here, I'll play. And that's how I got into Huzu. Fortunately for me, getting into Huzu meant that Huzu on a Saturday night was... Um, was urban or black nights and on Fridays was white nights which meant Costa and all like the white DJs were playing on Friday nights and on Saturday nights it was all the black DJs so I was in an environment where I could walk in on a Friday night and everyone knew who I was and I could sit in the corner and just be like yeah I'm the Saturday night resident um, and on Saturday I was there playing anyways you know yeah. so like I was I, like whether it was conscious or not, like I'd always put myself in an environment where um, I'd be able to interact or meet with like all the best DJs. And I'm like, I'm doing that now with my career. And this was around 2003. Yeah, this was like end of 2003. How did then, then you get, how did you then get into radio? Because it was, was the, the relationship that you were building was fresh, influential in that? So getting onto radio, I mean, like actually what a lot of people don't know is that I spent a year and a half on YFM playing as the mystery DJ on Dre's show on a Saturday. Um, I think it was, the set was either 10 o'clock or one o'clock and it was an hour. In and, the evening? And it, no, in the afternoon. In the in afternoon, the afternoon. And it was like an hour of the mystery DJ. And the whole concept was like, like the, the mystery DJ like would play some of the songs that you requested mm. and you, you never knew who the DJ was. Was it you were know, you playing so hip hop or house? It was house was it music, both? yeah, house. So I did a year and a half of playing as the mystery DJ on YFM. Nobody knew who the mystery DJ was. I, I couldn't even say that like, yeah, it's, it's euphonic and I'm playing at Huzu. It was just, come play the tunes and go home. But it was the best, um, best learning ground because like, even if I did mess up, like it was the mystery was DJ. It that makes, yes, it was okay. live. It was the mystery DJ messing up and not, and not me, hmm. but now you're playing at YFM, playing, doing something that like has no instant gratification for you whatsoever, hmm. no brand building or whatsoever, but you're also able to meet 
everyone. And when people are like, who is the mystery DJ? Like everyone that works at YFM is like, oh, it's you. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Then I, I ended up having seven mixed slots across YFM. From, in a week. In a week, yeah. From Bad Boy T's show to Fresh's show to Nighty Nice's show to Dre's show. Um, you know, like in, in a week, like having one guy play seven sets was like unheard of, yeah. you know. But at the time, like I was playing at Huzu as well. And I needed to put a face to what Euphonic is or was. And at the time, radio was the biggest platform, you know, so like... Well, at that uh, time, there was no social media. There was no Facebook. No, nah, there was no social page. media, no Facebook, no, like, the only way you got popular or the only way anything spread about you was either through the radio or playing at, like, clubs that advertised in the newspaper. And, like, I was just fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. But also, like prepped because when the doors opened I I knew that like this is one that I have to walk through yeah you know so like I was ready for all those opportunities when did you actually get onto radio as a presenter um I, for me it was the strangest thing man because like I'd, I'd only benchmark myself as like the mixed DJ the guy that comes plays his music and goes home um then I did a year and a half of doing content for Roger Good's Sunday show so like this was happening like simultaneously like while I was doing all the stuff at YFM Sundays was me doing like content for Roger. So like, um, I'd basically like call up all the big DJs, be like, yo, I need a 30 minute mix for this is the show and this is what it does. Or like finding out that like, oh, Mbusa's got a new album coming out. Roger, you should interview Mbusa because his new album's coming out or you should interview Kanyane because his new album's coming so out. So kind I, of producing it. Yeah, show. so I was doing like, an, uh, yeah. And in exchange for that, I got like a 30 minute set on, on his show, which was four hours back in the day. So I spent a year and a half of, of doing that. And as life is, Roger um, was moving on to bigger and better things. And there was a gap on the Sunday show. And like, I was the guy, you know? Mm. And I remember getting called in for that because I thought I was actually in trouble. <laughs> um, I, I remember getting called in and Helen was like, what do you do on Sundays? And I'm like, no, I, I do this show. And then like, this, and she's like, okay, cool. We want you to present the Sunday show. And I was like, no, but I'm doing that already. She's like, no, 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 no. We want you to like be the DJ. Roger's doing Saturdays from um, now on and we want you to do the Sunday thing. Like the deep end, but also like when I sat, thought about it and I asked like the people that like around me, it was like, yo, do it, you know? And I had no intentions of being a radio DJ and I, and I did it, you know? And I think like, like my residency at Huzu wasn't ready for it, but did it. Like the mixed shows at YFM, no gratification, yeah. wasn't ready, but did it. So like everything, even if it didn't make sense at the time, like I did it just for the learning curve of mm. things. And like, I mean, like that Sunday show was one of, at, at a time, one of the most successful shows on radio period, mm. you know? Which well, I think was that, like, was, that was actually the, one of the first times that we met was at the time, I was really good friends with a guy who called himself DJ Farizi. Young Jared. Yeah, 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 Jared. <laughs> and he knew th you through school. And yeah. he was he was also that guy, I feel, that was trying to do what you were doing with Freshway. He, he knew that if he was around you enough and like, yeah. came to enough gigs and spoke to you enough that you, that you would recognize and be like, okay, let him in. Yeah. Like, I remember walking past the, the windows in the SABC like randomly one night. <laughs> and, like <laughs> we were there and you were just like, okay, yeah, I know this guy, let him in. And I think the first time you were interviewing Kulo, and it was when he just released his first album. And like, even at that time, he was one of those guys that was just, like, I remember there was a couple of times that I came to that show. There was just random guys that showed up sure. wanting, like yeah. if it, it was people that you knew. And sometimes it was just random kids wanting to give you demos and yeah. stuff like that. And 
I remember sitting there and I was like, oh my God. Like I'm sitting in the studio. I didn't want to make a noise. I remember sitting in this piece of shit chair that they had there. It was like an old computer chair that like, if you moved it, it squeaks. So I was yeah. like, sitting really still in the corner. Like, I'm not going to make a sound. I don't think I said a word to you. I think I said, I said, I said hello. And then like, Jared did all the rest of the talking. And it was from there that I was like, this is something that I can see myself doing. Like maybe not radio, but just mm. building a career out of being a DJ or being involved in music somehow. Yeah, I think I think my generation of DJ made like made it made it like more possible and more attainable for for like the generation of guys that are like and, and like it's it said it's it showed that like there wasn't like a boundary because I remember like myself and Kent particularly started producing and making our own music because all the records were kept for all the big DJs. And like, how do you stand out? The only way you stand out is if you've got amazing music and unique music. And if there's only 30 records coming in, it means only 30 DJs are playing that one song that everyone wants to hear. So people are going to clubs to go listen to those DJs that have those songs. So we started making our own music because we just didn't have access to that, you know? And when we were making our own music and it was like, hey, then every kid was like, I can do this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then... Well, how, like, did, you, how did you actually meet him? Because I think that was... Varsity. Varsity. Varsity, yeah. Like, gravitating towards everyone that was... Like doing so, yeah. yeah, doing something. And he also had a, a show, a mixed set on a Dill's show. So, I mean, like, actually, the first time I heard about him was through that. And then when I, t- t- like, was trying to find out, like, who is he, who is he, where is he from... It was like, no, he goes to Rao with you. So I was like, okay, cool. Then I tried to find him and, you know, we ended up finding each other. Um, but, like, I think making it possible for, like, every other DJ. I mean, like, when I remember when I was, why I was so easily accessible to anyone that wanted to be a DJ was because I remember how difficult it was for me when I tried to, like, meet all these people and get involved with all these people. It was just, like, the barriers of entry were so high that, like, for me, I was like, I'm not going to do this to the next person. So anyone that showed a remote interest in wanting to DJ, I was like, come, come, yeah. let's do it. I mean, that's one of the motivations for me doing videos like this and doing the blog is that I was fortunate enough to have relationships with people that had relationships with people that were mentors to them and I was able to gravitate towards them and in some way learn from them whether it was from a DJing perspective or a label perspective there was a lot of people that I was in a fortunate enough position to have the opportunity to learn from them and I think there's still a huge barrier of entry to it's it's easy to be a DJ now because there's software that you can use getting in is very easy but like staying there yeah yeah, that's that's and and actually and actually having access to people that you can look to for advice was very difficult and I found in my experience, there was a lot of people that were willing to share advice, but only if it somehow served them in 100%. a way. And I wanted to make it what I had learned and what people around me had learned as freely accessible to people yeah. as possible. And through doing videos like this, that's what I really wanted to achieve. So I, I think that you were instrumental in my own career, but also in just laying a foundation for, I mean, before before I'd, I'd seen your sort of rise to the top I'd, as you said, they weren't like DJs weren't these big guys. Yeah, I mean internationally there was there was this this sort of demand for DJs all of a sudden. But locally, it was yourself. It was Kent. I mean, Fresh has been doing this for so long that he was just like the stalwart. But there was this this new generation yeah. of DJ that came up, and you guys sort of spearheaded that. And I mean, I remember a time where the Ultimix that yeah. you guys pioneered was. 
I mean, I, I was in a Facebook group for a couple of years that would religiously record <laughs> the mixes that you guys yeah, did. Yeah, it was insane, man. And I mean, like, it was insane. Like, it wasn't even like a planned thing. Like, it was just like, just play all the music that you want to play, however you want to play it. And you've got 30 minutes to do it. And it was just like, the way it took off was, was like, I wish I can say it was like, yeah, we planned it and it was carefully orchestrated. And, you know, like, to the point where, like, even today, like, sometimes I think, geez, I can't believe, like, that happened and, like, it was that big, you know? Um, and, and, I mean, like, it took us and put us into places that, like, you would never even thought you would ever get to to heights that you never even thought you would. And, and all of that was just wanting to push the boundary further and further and further and further and further, you know? And I find, like, um, like now, like, who who can you say is pushing that boundary? Mm. There's like I'm not I don't I don't want to take credit to saying like yeah if we stop pushing the boundary then no one's pushing the boundary but I'm just saying that like who is pushing the boundary like who's 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 the, who, who's like pushing things so hard I mean like with the exception of Black Coffee who's pushing things so hard that like it, it makes every DJ in the country like not want to go to sleep at night yeah you I know what I'm saying yeah like I want to be as as like you know um, like I'm like the new breed of like urban DJs like everyone sounds like Kenzo Euphony mm. like there's, there's, there's times where I listen to mixes on radio and I'm like I actually like get confused because I don't know if like what did I do then or was <laughs> it like so, you know what I'm saying was that, was that style of mixing that you guys pioneered out there because I mean I think there's there's there've been DJs historically that have always mixed acapellas over yeah, the track sure. played off of more than like Carl Cox has always played off of more yeah, than two like vinyl uh, turntables or, or CD players how did was that something that naturally you said oh, we want to be different we're going to play this way yeah I mean like at the time it was um, at the time it, it, like we were there like for the transition for vinyl is dying and CDs is a new cool thing and we were part of the transition of saying well all the music we're making is on CD and we're like computer nerds and we're making music and burning it onto CD and playing like where most DJs in the clubs were not touching the CDJ 100s, we were the ones that were like, cool, yeah. put them out. You know, we went and bought our own CDJ 100 so that like, everywhere I went, I could have a third one to play with. And it was just like, you were the guy playing three different songs at the time. And this was in the, at a time where you got big based on how you DJed and the music that you're playing from you, when you're DJing. That's how you bought your brand. It wasn't the big brand DJ coming to do whatever he's doing. It was like, we want those guys because of that's how they play. Yeah. You know, so at the time it was like, how are we going to sound different to everyone? Everyone's playing two records. We want to play three records. So like at, at that time, we were all constantly looking for like what's going to make us different, you know? And as being computer nerds, like we found, we found like, nobody was using Fruity Loops or nobody was using Acid or nobody was trying to use Cubase at the time and we were like the guys that like were, we know what this thing is and yeah. we know how to use it um, we know what a CDJ 100 is we know how to use it you know and we capitalized on that how did you how were you producing music when you got into it with Ken what were, what were you using at the time um, like he was using Fruity Loops and I was using Cubase um, and I actually like figured out Fruity Loops from Kent and then I moved over to Fruity Loops. So it was like on, yeah, we were using Fruity Loops and it was 
finding other acts and artists that were willing to make songs with us or willing to give us parts and either remixing, bootlegging or doing whatever, anything to have a new song that nobody else had, but we were the only ones that were playing the record. Because at the time, that was the trump card that like, you, if you're gonna hear the Freshly Brown bootleg, you're only gonna hear it because Kate's and you find a complaint and, and nowhere else. Mm. Yeah. When did you then sign to a label? Because I know you signed to Soul Candy. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think, I, I actually never ever signed to a label. Um, I just at the time it was like, if you're gonna release music, they were like, it's easy to release music in 2017 because you can just go to Tune Court, Ditto, or CD Baby and do it yourself. But at the time, like the only way to get your music out there was to go through a label. So, um, I mean, I met Harrell in 2004, um, and I just like getting familiar with them. And then like in 2005 and six, that's when like we had music and we started off by releasing bootlegs with them. Um, and then like in 2006, when they were doing Soul Candy Sessions 3, like we got involved as, um, Guys, so we're like cool. We were like the only local disc, so we like all the, all the music that was on the disc was predominantly our own stuff. Mm. So that's how we started releasing um, music. And then I mean, like, if you're gonna release a compilation, there's you needed a record label to do it with yeah. anyway. So it was like, nice. yeah, you know. So I mean, like, I had a very still to this day I have a very an amazing relationship with um, Soul Candy, and yeah, like. It, it was more of a family thing mm. than it was like I'm signed to a, to a record label and like I can't do anything yeah. with or without them. And when did you start the For the Love of House series? And what motivated you to start your own series of, apart from Sessions? Because you mixed yeah. Sessions 3, you did Electro Candy. So, so, so another thing about me that people don't know is that um, I used to A&R for all the biggest DJs in the country. Glenn Lewis, Toxin, uh, Fresh, Muso. Uh, um, so I was like spending all this time like on track source Juno looking for all the new music and then sitting with them and saying cool what do you think of these 50 records and then like I'd say yeah based on what I've heard you play before like I think this, this should be your sound so I mean like naturally when you air and r for everyone across that process you find music that like resonates with you and like I was putting aside those records for my own stuff so um, in 2007, like I got the opportunity to, to do my, my, my own compilation and I did it. You just took it from there. Yeah. And how did, how did the, the collaboration with you and Fresh come about? And when did you guys, because obviously you, you were yeah. aspiring to be like him when you got yeah. into it and then you developed this relationship and doing mixes on a show. Why, when did you then decide, okay, cool, we're going to start a brand together? That was like a, just a natural progression. I mean, I, I remember were getting booked at all the same at the same shows and because like the music that we were playing was like almost similar and like i come from a school of djs where like you respect the progression of the night mm. you know so if you're playing at 10 you play 10 o'clock music if you're playing at 12 you play main set music and if you're playing at closing you play you play closing music so we found that sometimes we were getting booked to play back to back you know so we were like okay cool we like the similar type of music, so let's rather play back to back for two hours and instead of me playing my hour, you playing your hour. Right. Yeah, so, and I mean, like at the time, it was a time where you couldn't, where there was no, like, yo, let me just check your history folder to see what you play. <laughs> so it was literally like, yeah, it's like, let's yeah. just play together. It's and, a natural thing. And then over time, we started doing our own events, and I mean, like, like I remember with me, 
like I was grabbing every opportunity that came about. So um, looking for venues to, to do my own events at. Um, and the one thing about me is that I'm a, a, serial, a serial collaborator. Like um, I like working with other people and I like the input that other people bring to like the common cause. So, I mean, like with the production stuff, it was doing stuff with Kent, with the live set stuff, it was doing stuff with Fresh. Um, like always loved working with other people. So um, where I win and where I could, like as long as it was like beneficial to yeah. the bigger scheme of the culture and like setting new boundaries and breaking barriers, like I was always working with other people. And we just decided like, look, we're doing this so often, like let's have a, an, a, a, an FU party. And then we started doing this residency at Vakamata, which was a once a month party on a Saturday, which well, became I big. I think, I think I played at three. Yeah. I remember the once the set that I had was closing from two to four. Yeah. And I, I can't remember, I'd gone out somewhere before and I got home at like ten. I was like, I don't really feel like going to sit there for four hours before I play, so I'm gonna sleep. And yeah. that's the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. Because I woke up at like one and I was like, This is the worst <laughs> the worst feeling. You wake up at one o'clock and like I still need to go and play. And I was like, the club is looking dead. People they didn't have left. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wrong. It was three to four that I was playing. Yeah. So I was playing the very last set. I was like, send me dead, and I got there, and this club was packed. And I was like, okay, this is actually worth waking up at, yeah. at one o'clock in no, the morning. No, I mean, like, it and was. Those, and I mean, not even, not even the events that you guys did. I think, as I said, you've been this, this sort of key figure in my whole career. And the first <laughs> the first club that I ever got bounced from was Stones Eden Girls around the corner. And you guys were playing. I think it was at the height of your your sort of I'd say career with him, your your brand with him, where you guys were packing out clubs as FEU, and it was I think just after you'd released the compilation, the first compilation that you did, and I was like, cool, we're gonna go and watch it. And at that time, I was in matric, but I was seventeen, <laughs> and I was with friends that were eighteen, and we went there, and this guy was like, Ali, and I was, I'd never even tried to get into a club before, so I didn't even bullshit him. I was just like, I don't have one. And it's like sorry, <laughs> and I was so disappointed because I was so looking forward to seeing you. And then the first H to O that I went to was actually the same year because it was a little bit later on in mm. the year. So then I turned eighteen, and I went with Jared, mm. and it was the year that you did the FEU floor Floyd. back there. And that was the most life changing experience for me because it was all the guys that were playing. Because I never, I didn't know what Spring Fiesta was. Mm. Like, I don't even. I, I went to Spring Fiesta. Was. No, there was no Spring Fiesta. There was no Spring Fiesta. Fiesta. Yeah. So there was no floor at a festival where there was this house music, because I'd grown up listening to Soul Candy, I'd grown up listening to the stuff mm. you were doing. And I never, I mean, I remember Frankie played before you guys, mm. it was you, I think Chris Sen had a, a slot there. Yeah. There were a couple of guys that I'd recognized from these compilations that I was listening to, and Jared and I must have sat there for about six hours on that floor, and we were like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was so disappointed that you guys didn't do that again. It's like, this was, this was the best exposure, that, like it was finally this place where I could listen to music mm. that I'd grown up and had been exposed to in, in house music. So it was like, for me, like really impactful to then see you guys play. And that was, that was then what really then pushed me back. Fuck this. I'm not going to study. <laughs> I'm not going to, like, I, I, it was around that same time. I was like, I'm not actually, because I had applied to do a BCom in business management. Sure. And I got accepted into Tux and it was like, they were like, I could say whatever I wanted to because I, I was fortunate enough and I was just like, 
told my parents, sorry, <laughs> I want to do sound engineering and my dad was like, okay. <laughs> but at that time I was fortunate that I'd started playing gigs and like I'd, I'd had a little bit of momentum that I could go mm. like, look, it's not complete bullshit. Like I'm at least making a little bit of money doing gigs and like seeing you guys play this. So it was really, it was really impactful. And then I remember you did the future DJs thing with G-Funk and I think Lloyd was Yeah, Lloyd, yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd. And at that time I was still coming to, to, Five and whenever I could to kind of as I said just just pop it in and be like cool and I remember for so long I wanted to ask you like please like when you decide to do because I think you only did it with them yeah yeah I only did one the the, the, chal- the the challenge with like doing that platform was that it was easy for me to find um, G Funk and Lloyd at the time because like nobody thought I was looking or nobody knew that like this thing w- w- was coming so like I just had identified two people that I thought like these two have got potential but after that it just became so clouded because everyone was like yeah. throwing stuff at me and I'm like the type of person that like I get bored very easily as well and I was just like I'm, I don't want to perpetuate <laughs> yeah yeah so like you did uh, the compilation with them yeah and then they were mixing every Sunday on yeah show, like, with it. I was like I just want I want to be associated with <laughs> I was like I'm going to get the chance and then you stopped doing it I was like <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that as I said that, that was something that you were doing to to given a platform to, to younger up and coming out. And then you started doing Ultimax weekend edition, mm. which I think was difficult because you had to fill it with so many, I mean, there was, there was so many, yeah, I just, it was clouded with. Yeah, I just started becoming garbage, you know, like I just started yeah. becoming like, you have to do it because like the gaps are open and like, it, it, like the quality control of it started becoming difficult because everyone thought they needed to sound like you in order to, to make you happy and it was, it's becoming more difficult to try and find people that like could stand alone by themselves and like had a sound and um, you know and, and, and it shows I mean like to this day like G-Funk um, you know like it is studying music Lloyd is doing big things at 5FM um, those guys stood the test of time like look at like how involved you are in, in, in the music and you can like how many kids from that generation of like oh, I want to be a DJ have like just disappeared disappeared yeah. or like you know like it's not really one, what they wanted to do and like now they've either found like uh, something else to do so it's it's, it's, it's it, like that was the boring part because you can see someone that like is hungry for it from a pure point of view and you can see like the guy that's like opportunistic because uh, like he can collect some music and his friends DJ so He's also popular with like all the girls, so mm. like he, he can bring a crowd to the club and he gets booked based on that. But the question is, what are you doing for the culture? Yeah. What are you doing for growing the scene? Growing the scene and like for the, everyone else that comes be, behind you. Well, as I said, the, the, I was in that Facebook group with these guys that were recording your mixes and what they started to do then was share their own mixes. I just remember going through it and like everybody was sharing these mixes, either playing the same music you were playing. I remember even to an extent, I was going out to clubs. You'd have this track playing, and it would be shitty, like, country 28 club I'd rip, but then you'd have Ultimix. <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, like, the, um, like for, for us, the, the, like, you know, like, what a lot of people don't realize about, like, prominent DJs in the scene is that, like, they are also constantly looking for inspiration themselves. Like, 
I can sit at home and go through the net or go through records or go through whatever and find music that like I that resonates with me and I'll play it and share it. Mm. But like I'm also looking for other people who are doing the same thing. So like unless you're bringing something new to the table, like you know, like which is why like I say sometimes that like I listen to the radio and I'm like this mix sounds like something that I've done before where like this acapella on top of this song and then this transition. So the, the, the guy the guy says, because you find Nicole Kent are so successful at doing this, if I can copy them, I'll be also I'll be as successful. And like in that you just like come well, on. I see it nowadays with the, the sort of white commercial dancing, the this new wave of producers being the focus mm-hmm. and the Channel Monkeys and the Carl Watsons becoming so popular now everybody's trying to sound like that nobody's going how can I be different exactly. and and you sort of said about Black Coffee being somebody that's now doing something different it's like there aren't those people around like everybody's and I think there's just these people that get caught up in this, this rat race or this this, mm-hmm. this bubble in this country anyway whether it's artists that aren't even in the house and I see it with pop artists and everybody everybody's so concerned about what's happening around them and trying to fit in that nobody's taking a stance yeah. side and going fuck it we're just going to do what we like yeah there's and no I mean like back in the day you could say okay cool I feel like listening to this type of house and you'd be able to go to a club or follow a guy that you know plays that stuff like now it's like it's so difficult to even find anyone that's like sounding like themselves like if you're not listening to for instance Chanda everyone's trying to sound, sound like it. So it's like, <laughs> like what's everyone doing? Like why, like, you, you know what I mean? As, a, as you said, you you got to this point where you things were getting boring, but how do you stay motivated in, because I mean, you've been doing this for now. So for me now, man, I mean, like it's, it's traveling. Like uh, 2017, I've probably spent more time overseas than I have like in my entire DJ career. And it's, going around the world and just saying like what's happening, who's doing what, how they're doing it. Basically like the SWOT analysis from back in the day is what's happening now, only it's like happening on a global scale. Mm. And trying to say, okay, cool, how can you be different from a Hardwell? How can you be different from a Solomon? How can you be different from a Martin Garrix? How can you be different from a Polish? You know, like Black Coffee's kicked open the door for South Africans to be able to go and do their thing overseas. You say you're from South Africa, people light up, you know, so, but you also can't be at Black Coffee duplicate, you know, because they're looking for, like South Africa's, the lights on South Africa, but like, you need to bring something different to the table. Mm. You know, so like, I'm out there on the pursuit of that, looking, looking for that. And I'm like, you, 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 you take your time in, in it because the last thing I want to do is, sound like Black Coffee, sound like Hardwell, sound like Solomon, sound like Cole, sound like all these guys that I'm, that I'm mentioning. Mm-hmm. I want to come across and say, this is me and this is my sound, mm-hmm. you know? I think that's the difficult thing is because we're so segmented from what's happening in Europe, we're, we aren't really exposed, we can't really relate to what a kid that's 16 or 17 year old in in the middle of Germany is going to be interested in so the sure. only way that you are able to actually immerse yourself in that culture is by going yeah, it is by it's, it's to be there I mean like it's the same thing that like I was going to all the clubs I was hanging outside all the radio stations I was you know go, like going to all the parties going to all the gigs going to all the record shops and it's the same thing now mm. you know it's happening on a, on a global scale if IMS is happening I'm going there to go listen to world leaders speak about 
where dance music is going. And I'm like, if anyone listens to like my radio shows or like whatever, I, I said in 2014 already, after coming back from IMS, where they were like, EDM's got another two years and it's gonna implode. And like, lo and behold, like in 2017, it's finished. Yeah. You know it's what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's done. But also like having the maturity to understand that like South Africa's at least three to five years behind yeah. and like, it's still massive in South Africa today, but it's also on its way out. You know, so like, it's, yeah, man, it's, it, it, it's, it's having the maturity to understand that, like, what's happening globally isn't, doesn't really, like, reflect on what's happening yeah. in South Africa, and vice versa, just because Titanium is still the biggest EDM song in the urban market doesn't mean if you play Titanium at Ultra Miami, anyone's gonna yeah. like no, turn around. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I so. mean, that's, that's something that I think I've noticed about your career specifically is that you've always tried to bridge the gap between cultural divides and what people mm. are listening to. It's, and you've never stuck to, I'm only gonna play urban or I'm only gonna play. Yeah, yeah even, that, even that wasn't like an orchestrated thing. I was just like, I've got white friends that like this kind of stuff and I like it, and I've got black friends that like this kind of stuff and I like it. And I was like, how am I gonna fuse these things together so that like my white friend is like, hey, that's cool, and so that my black friend is like, cool. So it was the same thing that like I was doing in high school where I've got the new music, like what's my cool factor? Mm. Like I figured out the cool factor later on as well, that it was to play um, the titanium a cappella on top of Sissing Hamba now, you know? That was something about the Ultimax, was it, it completely, sort of surpassed the cultural divide into yeah. what people I remember my white friend, my black friend, my Indian friend, everybody would tune in. I mean there was one there was one that you did that was so like widely spoken about in our in my sort of friend circle, which was the one you did around the twenty ten World Cup time. Yeah. It was yeah. one that you there was just that one mix that you did where you used the Nelson Mandela Capella to open the mix, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I just remember everybody I knew spoke about that mix for at least a couple of months. And everybody was sharing it with each other and yeah. everybody and it was something that was so great about Soul Candy specifically, for me anyway, was that the music that at a time that they were releasing, it didn't matter what colour you were, it didn't no. matter what weight your background. It was just there was something about house music and that's what why. I would choose house music. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, I, I, I specifically remember what you, like, what you're talking about because at the time it was like, I mean, like, I was doing a lot of A and R between myself and Harrell, and it was literally like, if you can dig this shit, you're part of our tribe. Like, it didn't matter what color you were. Like, if you liked the music that were releasing and playing and whatever, then like. You're part of the tribe, you know. It didn't matter, like, like, and all, of, all the there was no bullshit. Like, it was just, is the song good, mm. you know? And that's the only thing that mattered, you know. Didn't matter whether like the song had like a million rand budget behind it, or like the music video was cool, or this one was playing it or not playing it. It was literally, is the song cool? End of story. Yeah, you know, and that's and that, that that's all that mattered. And you like fast forward to today, like, the biggest songs are all gimmicks, <laughs> like. The, I, I don't personally remember any music from the like the last two three years that come out and I'm like this song's amazing mm. I mean like 
like myself and Ken still playing Chris Melinchek, So Good To You and Neck A Shining Star. Mm. Like what songs have come out in the last two years that are like, yeah. wow. That stand out that much. You know? And also like when it's, and I'm like life happens. Like um, I'm not spending as much time as I used to air gnarring. Yeah, okay. And you can tell the difference because like, then that style of music like completely dies because nobody else is trying to chase it. But when you were like, finally, and like, what was going on before pre-Shazam was that you could literally cane a record for like six months before it came out and before anyone knew what it was to now where like, you'll spend like a whole week trying to look for new records, played in your one mix, and then the next week, like Somebody everyone's killing it to yeah. death. You know what I'm saying? Or like just copying the mix and how you did it. So like, but like no one's out there trying to find their own sound, trying to say, this is, when you hear this, think of me, mm. you know? And that's what we had back in the day. When you heard this, like, think of me. Mm. And like, nobody's doing it with the exception of like, to this, like now and today in 2017, Timo, Chanda, Destruction Boys. Yeah. Yeah, I think social media as well has affected not just the music industry, but affected like everything in everyone's life. Like if you think about it, like they speak of, yeah, you just did that for the Instagram photo, you know, like how many DJs want to have like the thousand people in a crowd. And like, it's like now you're chasing that instead of chasing the craft and saying, because of the craft, I have that now instead of like that it's I, I want the the picture to look like this so what do I have to do to get this picture and you see it like even so with some of the biggest acts globally like that's all it is that like they, they actually don't know how to stick behind like a particular sound but all they want to do is be able to be the biggest and it, the Instagram photo needs to look big like proper like I don't remember ever wanting to DJ because I saw what somebody's production at Tomorrowland looked like you know, mm. like it's only like like now because it's like visually in your face. But before it was like when you're sitting with your eyes closed, like what was it that made you fall in love with yeah. music? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and that's and, and if, if it is bass house, cool. If it's gorm, cool. If it's like vocal house, cool. But like with when 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 you, it's all your senses are switched off and it's just your your your, your hearing. What's the sound? Yeah. What's, what's the, what's the sound that turns you on? Yeah. You know, what's the sound that like, if you could only listen to this one song ever again, what, what song would that be? What genre would it be? You know? And I think that's where people are, are, are getting lost. And I'm like, I went down that path of getting lost as well, where I thought like, if everyone's running that way, then I need to run that way. But when you run that way, like you actually lose like your true fans in order to gain like so much more and the the reality of it is that like all music like always goes back to it like it hits a re, the, the the reset button yeah i mean um i mean i'm just watching like with some of my stuff and like which songs have had the most response all of those were songs that like i was literally like listening to by myself and I was like this song like I fucking love it yeah you know what I'm saying and when I put the records out and one other person was like oh this is cool like job done instead of like like orchestrating your songs so that like everyone can love it yeah you know what I'm saying like 
And that's like that. Unfortunately, is a difficult thing because like, do you want to sound like yourself or do you want to sound like like Timo? Do you want to chase Timo's uh, success or do you want to chase Timo's sound? Like, what's your sound? Or like, like, what are you chasing? And also, like, in the midst of all of that, like, what are you leaving behind for the the people that are coming behind you to to make an example of? Like, those for me are like fundamental and critical questions that like any musician needs to ask themselves. I think that's the thing people forget about music is it's an art form. Yeah. And when you, if, if art could be recreated so sort of perfectly, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be artists. You could do it all on a machine. Sure. The thing is, is is as you start chasing uh, other people's decisions and you're, you're trying to do what other people are doing, you leave what yeah. really, what really, I mean, like, I, 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 say, I say this to a lot of people like all the time that, you know what, like, don't model yourself around anything that I'm doing. Rather, come and ask me, yo, you're doing this. Why are you doing this? Where is it going? When it gets there, where do you foresee it going? Because I find that you might chase. Calvin Harris's sound and model yourself around everything that he's doing not knowing that like he was probably fucked on cocaine when he was making all the music and for him it's like it's not going anywhere like he doesn't care where like what the next step is and now you've modeled yourself around this guy chased every single goal that like he's ever reached only to realize that like this work was only doing it because like it helped him fuck bitches or Mm. like whatever like now because he stopped pushing the boundaries like you can't push the boundary yeah. any further than yeah. what your idols yeah. been able to push the boundary so it's always like draw inspiration say cool like do a SWOT analysis say I like this from Fresh I like this from Oskido I like that from Kent I like that from Cleo and I'm going to use it to model myself and adapt it to the things that I like and that's where people are getting it wrong yeah well I think that's exactly it is that there came a point where people, I think, were unable to base what they were doing on what you guys were doing. They were, there comes a point where the, that bubble bursts where you can yeah. ride on the coattails of other people and try and emulate them. Because there is, there's a lot of people that will come and pioneer sound and then there will be the sort of few people that are yeah. able to, to, to follow that path. But once that starts getting tired and people wanting to move yeah, because Yeah, because, because the question is, when you can produce like Euphonic, when you can mix like Euphonic, when he's got the Wallula a cappella and you don't have the Wallula a cappella and you eventually find it, then what? Like, that's the question, then what? Yeah. You know? And, like, when you have the answer to, to that question, like, I mean, I know that I've always been able to plan my, my, my life in, like, five-year pieces and say, I'm here... I want to be there. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to get there. And when I get here, then I know that it's time for me to get there. But like the in-between stuff, I don't know and I yeah. don't understand like the process, but yeah. I know where I, I, need, yeah. I need to be. And I mean, like that's exactly what I'm doing with my global career now. That like, I'm not over the top talking about it to anyone. Um, it's between me and myself. And I can spend one minute in a venue at a radio station talking to someone and I know that's not the direction that I yeah. want to go and 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 make peace with it and move on very quickly. Yeah. You know? And I think that's that's what's missing in the scene. Like someone that's going to say, Cool, 
I hear what everyone else is doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. And I'm not going to deviate from this thing because I believe in it so much. Um, and that's the agenda that I'm going to push. Whether it works out or it doesn't work out. Because that, again, that's what music's all about. Music's not about how many people like your song. Music is about, do you like your song? Can you stand by your song? Mm. Can you stand by the way, by, by, by the, the, the genre that you've picked, can, the, the, the music that you produce, the, the how you DJ, the how you present yourself? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't wear all black because all DJs are wearing all black. Understand the why mm. all DJs are wearing all black and see if that's something that resonates with you. You know, like, um, all of those things are important things to ask yourself because now you're going to model yourself around Chanda Monkey. Chanda Monkey is going to stop DJing and go through like a, a life issue and throw his computer away and then like now you're stuck because you've modeled yourself yeah if Chanda Monkey isn't pushing the boundary you can't push the boundary mm. you know so like model yourself around yourself and like you know like it's it, it's it's very cheesy it's very cliche people always say there's no one better than you and yeah. like every other position is taken so just be yourself I mean like and you can see that like Calvin Harris's last album which was like a what the fuck moment for every single person, as amazing as that project is, you can see that like, he, he would have never been able to do the sound two albums before, okay, yeah. because people would have just been like, what the fuck is he doing? Hmm. But he's now Calvin Harris and he can literally do whatever yeah, the fuck he wants, yeah. you know? And you, like, don't you want to build that? Like mm. everyone wants to build yeah. that. I, I remember having um, a conversation with Simon Dunmore from Defected because I was also like, what direction do I need to go? Like, what do I need to do? And that dude was like, you just need to be yourself and hope that people like you, you know? Not make people like you and then like, you know? So be yourself and hope people like you because Simon was saying that like, he was having a conversation with Axwell and Axwell was like, fuck, I can't make the music that I, I used to make. Making, yeah. And Simon was like you, you're fucking Axel you can do whatever the fuck you want mm. and that's the beauty about music yeah. that like it's, it's, it's a song and if people don't like this one song press the skip button and move on to the next song cool well, I think on that profound bit of advice <laughs> I mean that's something that I wish people knew and it coming from you I really appreciate that and I, I think let's leave it there because yeah. uh, that's something that should really resonate with people because being original setting up uh, a, a space for yourself in the industry that you can then capitalize on because you can't make decisions based on what everybody else is doing because as you said when they stop making those decisions how are you then going to base on what you do next and always knowing where you're going and and not nobody's ever going to have the perfect plan and be able to mm. say down to a T, this is how I'm going to get there and do this and 100%. do that. Rather know where you see yourself and know in yourself what kind of artist you want to be or what kind of DJ you want to be yeah. and be able to stand by that and back that 100%. 100%. So I just want to say thanks again for taking the time to to chat to me and to come here to my house <laughs> <laughs> and and just give give some context of of who you are, how you got there and uh, the, the sort of background behind who you find yeah, is and, and where your head is at at the moment. So I really appreciate you, you coming to chat. Shot, man.